0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with former Kansas City and current New York City jazz saxophonist, band leader, composer, and arranger Morgan Faw. In late August 2022, he completed a week-long marathon of gigs in honor of Charlie Parker right here in Kansas City. Over our conversation, we specifically hone in on his brand new album joined by his band The Flame, and it's called It Takes a Village. He spent years establishing himself as an upcoming artist and band leader since his early teens. By the age of 15, he was in multiple community bands across the Kansas City scene. That led him to learning from the master Bobby Watson, then going on to Boston and the Berklee College of Music. And now he is moving to the Mecca of jazz in New York City. He's full of energy, stories, and he's got great chops. Enjoy this interview. Before we get into the show, I want to tip you off to a wonderful program I found out about. As we expand our reach, we have made some friends out there in the world that love jazz as much as we do. This program is fully endorsed by Neon Jazz. Gerald Albright, Maria Schneider, Charlie Hunter, Duke Robelard, Sean Jones, Walter Beasley,
1: Steve Swallow. Something Came From Baltimore is a jazz blues and R&B podcast and radio show, and
0: it's not really about Baltimore subscribe to the podcast and listen to your favorite artist or future favorite artist that something came from Baltimore and be a
1: part of that Be More Music scene. Joe, Lavana, Jeff Kaufman, Paula Cole, Denuzo, Makatani, and Pasio, Chess Smith, thumbscrew. How's it going? Hey, it's good. How's life? You know, life life has been good. I'm uh I'm currently back at my parents' house uh in San Antonio at the moment. My uh, I just had my wisdom teeth pulled on Monday as I think I mentioned to you. So I'm, uh, I've been uh, recovering slowly but very well at the same time, you know. it's uh, Talking gets easier every day, and slowly the bruises off my cheeks are fading. <laughs> Man, it's such a brutal thing. I, you know, for a long time, my wisdom teeth would alarm my dentist, and they were like, well, they're not coming in crooked. We'll keep them in. I'm going to be 50 this week, and I still have them. And I always tell them, you know, I want to keep all the wisdom that I can. I don't want to get rid of it, so let's just keep them in. You know, it's it's so funny you, you say that because I I you know I feel wiser. I I think the wisdom's underneath. You know. Yeah. I, right. I think amongst, <laughs> you, you know, they, as they pull it out, it's like the you know it's it's bleeding, but really that's just the wisdom bleeding out. You know. It's that's right. It's getting everywhere. It's spreading itself. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. So if I do have to get to a point where that happens, I'm just doing what they do in Kansas, where they burn down all that brush so that they can re regenerate the ground. Exactly. <laughs> well, man, um I really wanted to catch you during the Charlie Parker week. There was one night specifically at the Casey Beer Company with Brahms, and I thought you were going to be there, but I know historically when artists and residents come in town, you guys are pushed and pulled and yanked in like a billion different directions so um i did I was there at the char- or at the uh, Bobby Watson show at Tomstown, and you and a group of cats were in the back of the room, and I don't know if you guys ended up playing with them or not, because we had to go a little bit earlier, but it's so good to see Kansas City blood. It looked like you were really enjoying the week here. Oh, it it, it was so much fun, Joe, you know, and, and I'm so sorry. You know, what's funny. I, I was at that Casey Beers thing. I was there very briefly. I was there for maybe 25, 30 minutes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I sat in with Lucy and Brahm on like two tunes with Houston and then we had to go because we had this rehearsal we were trying to get to and we had to there was a lot you were exactly right. A lot of pushing and pulling and tugging you know, Man. multiple directions, you know you know, and so it was it was a whirlwind of uh of crazy but very positive crazy and, and I yeah, I was I was at Tomstown, yeah, that was me and my band. We were we were we had uh we had just gotten back from doing our last hit, um, outside the jazz museum in the yard, uh, which was really fun because we had the, we were so surprised. I wasn't sure what we were going to be doing for that. And all of a sudden there's this big stage in the back, you know, standing in front of the Royals, you know, the baseball complex, uh, training center that they have on there on by paseo, Yeah. And, uh, and it was like playing in front of the beautiful mural that's been made, and you know, yeah. out, it, you know, it was like, you know, because I I remember several years ago the Casey Jazz and Heritage Festival um, that they did on Paseo there on that median, and you know, seeing the big stages and like, man, I can't wait to do something like that. That's going to be so fun, and and so to have that kind of opportunity was was such a was such a gift and such a wonderful surprise. And I looked at Gerald, you know, Gerald Dunn. I was like, no way, this is so cool. Yeah, totally. Well, that's the beauty of this process of of watching players come up is that all of those dreams start to get realized. I, I went to – um Eric Marienthal was here in town playing with the Boulevard Big Band at the Warwick, and I'd never been to the Warwick, and it's a really unique kind of um configuration. But towards the end of the show, Brent Jackson goes up, and the leader of the Boulevard Big Band kind of pushed him to tell the story, and he pulled out a CD that Eric was on and said – When I was like 13, I saw you live and you autographed. It It really fueled my dream to like get to this point. It was so cool to see that bridge between the older and younger musicians because the way that the jazz world works, which is why it's such a joy to cover, is that you all foster this inherent DNA of of not only preserving the history of this art form, but of being kind to each other and really recognizing if someone... You know, has some level of intent, or if even they're a fan, you foster and keep that flame going. So to see those two together, and Brent's a, a, a really big part of this Kansas City scene and was up on the stage playing with them, I mean, what a cool feeling to, like, have that dream come alive and for you to come back as an artist in residence, because they really roll out the red carpet for that week-long celebration. It's like, it, it had to be kind of like pinching yourself a few times. Oh, I, I it was you know, I, I it, it's funny. I, I, it was, I was pinching myself, you know, you know, occasionally slapping myself on the cheek, like, okay, um, is this, uh, is this real? You know, cause I, I had had, I've had this dream to come back to Kansas city for a very long time. Uh, I was on the phone with a friend of mine, um, yes, yesterday and I was talking to him. He was, he, uh, he was, he was somebody that one of the people that sponsored the ability for me to come out. And I was, and I've been sitting here actually writing all these thank you cards too to people, you know, to everybody that's kind of supported me. It was to be able to be given the opportunity to come back and be in a position where I can give back to those who've, been, you know, poured their life energy and their time and sometimes, sometimes their money, and you know, into me to 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 grow and to be a part of this culture and this music and to be a member of it. What is it's all. It's really all I've wanted in the last in the in the last few years is to be in that position to come back and share with those people that poured into me, which was you know so many. of Those people came to my show on Monday on uh, Monday night for the CD release. You know, to be able to play a packed house full of my adoptive mothers and fathers and adoptive grandparents. You know, and people that I worked with at the museum and and the people I spent so much time on 18th and Vine with. It was it 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 filled me up uh, in a place that I I was I was I don't even know I, I was I wasn't even expecting how full I was going to be. I, at one point, I was like, oh, man, am I going to cry? Like, <laughs> I, I I I was I was shocked. You know, when 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 like when especially even like when I found that I was going to be able to do it at the Blue Room, it was like you know I get to go back to the to the, like basically you know. It's not my house in a sense, but it's also the house that I grew up in in a lot of ways musically. It was the first place where I went to my first jam session and it was where a lot of things became started to become a reality for me as a musician. And when I when I brought my band there and we you know, when I when the band kicked it off and we came on stage and it was just it was so surreal and it was such a and I was and I just felt I've been feeling so like grateful. It's just it's so much gratitude. You know, I, I was my my dad said to me, he's like Morgan, you know, I want to make sure I want to be I want you to be careful. Like don't don't get a big head, you know, when you when you when you go do this because I, I don't want you to don't like, don't don't let this change you. And and I was you know I was kind of afraid of it too. Was like cause, you know, and when I was a lot younger, I had I used to have an ego because I was you know studying with Bobby Watson and you know playing music and it was like you know I felt like I had my own thing, you know, and and now it's it's as i've gotten older i've I've learned that the music is about not just, it isn't about yourself and i was talking I was telling the same person I was on the phone with yesterday the same thing you know it's it's the it's a really it's a blessing and a gift to realize when you realize that the music isn't about you in the end it's about who you're sharing it with and who you're playing with and and who it's for and you know and yeah you know, Lonnie McFadden's really good at that too. Uh, he's a great example of showing that showing people uh, or teaching or a, a lesson or showing an example of that the music is really not about the person playing it; it's about the person listening to it. Yeah, Lonnie so. is, is amazing. Yeah, I it, that, and that's totally true. It's, there's there's definitely that embodiment with what he does, and to this day, I don't know that I've seen anybody as wonderful and dynamic and engaging as him. I mean, anybody that. <laughs> I, I, I was doing an interview this week with a, a podcaster from Baltimore that's doing a lot of what I'm doing, and we were going through like, our top list of musicians and things that you should see if you come to each respective city, and I had mentioned specifically Bob, or Bonnie because of what he does and how he does it, and he just exudes that. He loves you. He loves the music. He loves that you're there. He loves that he gets an opportunity to show you how much he loves the music in you. Like he is all about love and being grateful. And you know, I, I, you know, my, my, I'm from Kansas City, but my, my parents just moved out of Kansas City to San Antonio for my dad's new job. But Lonnie was here in Texas, in San Antonio, a couple of days ago, um, doing a performance. And so I went to see it because it wasn't too far from my parents' house. And you know, we were it, just watching him again was just a reminder of you know how you how one can represent their art or their music through making it basically nothing about themselves, and that's something that I'm glad that I'm learning now and not later down the road. I'm glad that I have people like my mentors that you know smack me on the back of the head you know <laughs> when when I need it and uh and so it you know to be able to to be to be able to really kick off this this album that I did, uh, you know, it takes a village within the village that it's about was, uh, I couldn't have asked for anything more really. Well, and I guess that's the way I kind of want to start everything off. I think the first thing I want to kind of, I want to move into the album but under the guise of I think the thing that was special about this year was that it was really in earnest the first year since the pandemic began where everything was back in full force. And I think that was the thing that was great about Everyone that came out whether it was a spectator or a musician to, to feel the fact that we're actually back doing these things live so Over that time period it was particularly hard on musicians. How did you survive the COVID time frame and How did it change you now that you're reemerging, and you know, you're obviously moving and you have a new album and things are kind of brimming? Well, it's interesting so I will never forget when when I was I was in Boston. So I I was able. So I just graduated Berkeley this year, but uh, at the time in in I guess March the March first of twenty twenty. No, it was about March ends, I guess now. But um, uh, I was a sophomore, and I was I was living on campus. Again, because, you know, at uh, Berkeley, the, you're, you're guaranteed one year of um, campus living, and then your second year is kind of a um, a lottery. And I won the lottery, so I was on campus. And the reason why I'm saying that, it, it's important here in a second, uh, you'll, you'll understand. I was, I had been in class, and, we, and you know, it, it, was, it, it was really actually quite a sad time already because we had just lost McCoy Tyner, and Jimmy Heath had died a couple months prior, and we were seeing that there was just a lot of, there was a shift, there was a tone change in the air. And I remember I was I was in a uh I was in my thematic development class with Rick DeMuzio and when when we read about McCoy and then a couple of days later I I'm in my dorm. I just come I got out of class. I don't remember I don't entirely remember what class it was, and that's probably not very important. Um but I, I pull up my email and Berkeley sent out a, a notification saying uh due to the extremities of COVID nineteen and the widespread of this which is becoming what they might call a pre-pandemic, uh, we are suspending all activities on campus and all students living on campus are, are have been asked to vacate their dorms in five days. And so we were based like, I, I remember I threw, I had a nervous breakdown in my room. I was, you know, cursing up a storm, just like, what am I going to do? I, you know, this is, you know, I can't be... You know, I I don't I can't go back home because I I need to stay where I'm at and keep my studies up and and focus on the things I'm working on because everything's going to go shift online, but I want to be around my peers and I don't know where I'm going to go and, and you know it was it was so crazy to have to all of a sudden deal with that and um and luckily one of my one of my best friends uh, who's also a I went to I, go to I went to Berkeley with and and did i I've done a lot of performing with um, he he called me. And she was like, "Yo, you hear about what's going on?" And I'm like, "Dude, yeah, I, man, like I'm, I have to, I'm getting kicked out of my dorm. I'm, I'm about, I'm about to be homeless." <laughs> and he's like, "Well, man, uh, my roommate is leaving. Uh, you want this room?" And I was like, "Yes." And so I, he, my, you know, bless him, bless his heart. He, he and my, he and actually, I ended up living with him and my drummer, Christian Napoleon. He's on my record. And I moved in with these guys into a town called Alston, which is where a lot of musicians and a lot of college students live in Boston. Um, it's kind of like the Lawrence of Boston, in a sense. You know, it's got its own vibe. But so it's a great part of town. And we, I, I, I think I would have had a really tough time making it through it if I wasn't living with musicians. Um, but I had the opportunity to be with some of the, the, my best friends in music whom I had been playing in Ralph Peterson's band with. And so we had a we had a pretty deep connection just off the bat, just from doing that, being together in, in those performance situations. Because we had just recently, you know, about six months prior, was it wasn't six months, yeah, about six months prior, we had just played Dizzy's Club uh, with Ralph Peterson to release our record with the Gen X Big Band, Listen Up. And so we were we were all kind of still riding the high from that, you know, in a sense as well. So we had this, we were. And we were still in Ralph's Band at the time. Ralph had us do all, all this online, you know, Zoom meetings for class. And we basically the answer your original question, what was I doing? How did I get through it? I I basically took that time. I, you know, I'm I'm luck I'm very lucky to say that I'm one of the people in twenty twenty that that was that benefited from that time. From that year, from that first, you know, year basically, those first twelve months that was a time where I had all of a sudden, like all the time in the world to do what I wanted. And, you know, that was for me practicing and, you know, reading a lot. I started, you know, I started to dive into like James Baldwin's books. I read uh, a book called The Fire Next Time. And I started digging into the the roots of Black American music and really studying, you know, because uh, my, my roommate's, Craig, Craig Jackson was was his name, and my friend Christian. You know, we, you know, it, it was, you know, black culture is important to them as they were black musicians. And I basically was in this. It was like I was in like a like a what do you call it, a bunker, a, a time capsule, where we were just kind of all. We we rarely left the house, and if we did, we were. It was so funny. We had this routine where we were like wrapping ourselves in paper in like garbage bags and trying to seal ourselves away from COVID because the vaccine wasn't made yet, so it was really dangerous. And you know, we would go to the grocery stores and see all the empty shelves. But really, we were at home most of the time practicing or studying or taking time to learn more about ourselves and um, and eating a, a lot of Uber Eats and, and gaining weight. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, that, yeah, because we were so sedentary, you know, I wasn't really going out and doing much. I had I had been an, uh, an avid runner and walker up until that point, point. and uh, so you know we were just kind of sitting there. And we were, you know, at one point, me and Craig, we we were deciding to uh, to change our diet up, and you know, we were trying to be vegan for a minute or do smoothies and like we were trying all these different like diets and stuff, trying to figure out how to make ourselves a little healthier in, in this time of being very sedentary. But overall, it was it was. I I think I would have had a really tough time if I was anywhere else because being, you know, with close friends and maybe not your family which you know, I don't know I don't know about everybody but like sometimes I think it can be hard to go back once you've left the nest to come back and be with your family for an extended period of time it can be tough for some people and it would have definitely been tough for me um because I would have been a I I I would have had while I would have been in Kansas City I I would have not been able to see any of my mentors because it would have been a health risk so I would have been just as far, being in Kansas City or being in in Boston, away from these people that I cared about. And so the I got through it through being with my friends and you know watching lots of TV and and reading and practicing and just and you know I started writing music. Um, and I had just before the pandemic kind of kicked us all out. I had I had written uh, the tune Trial and Error which is on the album. It's like the third cut, I think. Um, and that was kind of at the time I wrote that, which was like in February, it was, I was thinking about the, the struggles of being a band leader. Cause I had, I was, I was trying to, I was preparing for my first recital that, um, ultimately got canceled because it was meant to happen at the end of March. Um, which about at the point we were all off campus and, so I was learning how to figure out running a band, which was really hard for me at the time because I was so unsure about everything. I didn't know how my music wanted to sound. I didn't know how the band was going to sound. I didn't understand the importance of chemistry really. And so like, think, like, I, I was already at this point where I was having a tough time. So when I wrote Trial and There, I really, I felt good about that. And I realized that I could take this time to write more music. And so I, I had this, uh, Bobby, Bobby Watson had told me about the importance of having a scrapbook or like a musical diary, basically. And I basically would spend time through the pandemic and through the first, you know, year, uh, writing music and writing, jotting down ideas. And that kept me busy and that kept my brain working. Um, and I think if I had abandoned music altogether, during the pandemic and just like kind of hung out or played. And luckily I didn't have any video games or a TV really to like mess around with. I had my computer, so I had Netflix, but I didn't have, I didn't have a lot to distract me from my art. And so I relied on it and that's what got me through it really. I think that's the key to that time period was that I think we all, you know, there was a lot of talk of frontline workers. And I think that we really need to realize too that the frontline workers We're artists, too. If we didn't have Netflix, we didn't have visual art, we didn't have music, it would have been a really bad and dark time. Um, And I think that um, it's interesting. You know, I'm noticing more and more when I ask artists and and people about COVID, about the silver linings. There was a lot that went into the pause. Like, obviously, in the beginning, like when you talked about getting out in five days and not knowing what you're going to do, there was the shock and panic that just rippled throughout the world, you know everybody was going to get upended, but how did you respond to that? And, and I think whoever you were before the pandemic began was only going to get magnified. So if you were the type that saw that glass half full, you were just going to run with it, you know? And I think there was a lot of people that did, and it was a period that could have been extraordinary growth, you know, and, it's not like we're the first generation that ever had to go through something like that. I mean, they had the Spanish flu. There was World War II. There's been these magnanimous moments. And at my age, I look back in the history of being an American kid, and there, there, there were episodic moments. I mean, there was the Challenger explosion. There was 9-11. There were things that kind of sent ripples, but nothing was lasting. Nothing was like this. So when we listen to our grandparents and elders talk about major things, we've gone through a major thing you know this was a major time in our lives for so the planet all together as one exactly um, and it 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 was like a it was a it was a time where it, it, ralph peterson my mentor uh the late ralph peterson told said this to us once you know he you know he like there are going to be the the people that that come out of this stronger and better and, and in some cases you know, healthier in their body, you know, literally physically stronger and have like, you know, you know, whatever worked off their. you know, found their weight goal or, you know, achieve something personally about themselves or they're going to, or they're going to come out worse for it. And, and he basically said, you guys have a choice to either come out strong or, or come out strong from it or, or let it get, or let it get you, let it get to you. And, uh, Three of us at the time—me, me, Chris, and, and Craig—we we all I think responded positively to that, and we found our way through it. And a lot of it was like you know companionship. We 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 were always hanging out with each other. We like we had a routine at one point, you know, because Christian and I I had like a, a railway style bedroom, so I had to go into my room through his. <laughs> and so every morning, you know, we had like this routine where we, we'd make tea together and we hung hang out in the morning, you know. Uh, and we would, we would do that often and we would kind of talk about the, you know, what happened, you know, what's going on. And because around the same time, only a couple months later, were the George Floyd protests, um and the riots that were happening in, specifically in Boston. And we all, we, we partook in those, uh, and we were out protesting and being, you know, there was, you know, thousands, like like maybe twenty thousand people were marching through Boston and you know, we were all had our masks and you know handkerchiefs and whatever, you know, to cover our faces. But, you know, it was it was a time we realized that we had to protect not only ourselves but each other. And and I had to learn that because at first I was actually really hesitant of going out and doing the protests because I thought that I could find another way to partake uh by using music and I realized that you know the pandemic showed me that you know it's not always about you and especially playing you know this the music that I play it's, it's important to to really you know as you know Ralph would say you know you know this is a music that people risk their lives for they you know they they give their lives for this for, for this culture and this art and so I I learned the importance of uh of what you know when to not be selfish and that was a really important part, I think, that I wanted to add to, uh, you know, mention to you as well. Is this, this time gave us, gave, you know, there was, they gave people an opportunity to, uh, think outside themselves. And that's what I think the three of us did. And, you know, me, you know, speaking on my experience, in, you know, specifically, you know, that's what I did. Uh, um, and so it, you know, the whole shock was there, but we were all kind of in it together. And so it was a matter of, finding ways to so to to keep each other going, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it has to be quite a moment for you to be able to have a brand new album out with the world waking up the way it is. It almost seems kind of dreamy-like. So, you know, talk to me about It Takes a Village, Done With the Flame. Talk to me a little bit about how you, know, you mentioned that you know, you were writing a lot over the pandemic, but what does it mean to have this album out? How does it feel? And and kind of what you went through artistically to put this together. There's, that's a great question, Joe. Um, so the, the first thing I'll start with is this, is when uh, this is still pandemic time, because most of the music, the majority of the music I wrote, I wrote this year actually for the album. But what we, something that we were talking about that I failed to mention a second ago is you know we were we were all saying like man like this is some deep stuff we're going through right now this is some really profound life changing life world altering experiences we're having with this pandemic and this and there's a lot of suffering there's a lot of pain there's a lot of healing and and we and we would say like and we and me and my friends were also me and my music friends were like, Man, the music that is gonna come out. The music that is about to be that is being written right now and that is gonna come out when we are out of this is gonna be so profound. You know, people are gonna have stuff to write about for a while. We were saying, you know, we're, I mean it's gonna be crazy what, what, what people come what people end up creating as a result of this pandemic. Um and I I I I had <laughs> I had been trying to put an album together for a since a year before the pandemic started. I had been, I, I had had my mind set on making, making my own music for a while because I, I felt that I, I had at the time and I'm glad I didn't make, I, I'm glad that the pandemic got in the way because at the time I would have done it for the wrong reason. I was kind of feeling I had something to prove and I needed to prove myself to people that I can, I can make an album and I've got a band and, you know, I've, I've got X, Y, and Z and, and and I, and I and I as I'm speaking this even to you now, I'm realizing that you know that's, that's doing things for the wrong reasons. You know, create because you want to create, and that you have something to say, not because you have something to prove. So around around, uh, I guess it was late summer of 2021. I had kind of come to the idea that I wanted to try to do a band again. It, I had at the it, it, and by the way, I between. Uh, August and January of 2020 to 21, I I had gone home. I did go home. I made a decision to go home and spend some time with my family and use the pandemic as an opportunity to, to reconnect with my parents and my brother. Um, and I took an online term at Berkeley. And so we're, it's January now. And and so, you know, I, I, you know, I'm able to reconnect with my, with my family and everything through the pandemic and be close to them. And then, so I, I go off now back to Boston in January 21. Everything is still kind of in what we call hybrid mode. So all the classes were virtual, but we could, if you have, if you could bring your bring your friends together, your, your student, your fellow, you know, bandmates together in ensembles or classes, you have the opportunity to do that. And so we would have these ensembles in these classes. We were... Doing all this stuff and trying to do the Berkeley thing, you know, the school, the, you know, playing music and all. And I I was lucky enough to live in an apartment when I came back to Boston that was all mainly the people, mainly the people I was playing with before the pandemic and during that semester. So all my ensembles kind of contained the same people. So we were able to make a lot of what we had from the little bit of, you know, that we were given essentially because we couldn't really go on campus much. So, once once that semester ended, we we knew that things were gonna kind of start going back to normal. And it was going into the last year and I had kinda started to realize, okay, I I think it I think I need to I want to bring a band in. We because we had been doing these uh these live stream sessions basically at my apartment called apartment B sessions where we, we were trying to, you know, Emmett Cohen, I don't know if you're familiar with him, he's a pianist in New York. He kind of started this this home live stream, you know, whole live show thing in general and really was successful at So we decided, okay, we can do it too because we have a big enough space in our apartment to put a band together. We already have the drum set here. We always use a keyboard and bass and put the horns in the corner here. And, and we put some cameras up around, and, and we basically did a weekly show every, you know, for about nine weeks. Uh, and so all this playing and performing and occasionally bringing in original music was was inspiring me to do something on my own. And so I started recruiting some friends uh and we and I started getting together and started playing some music and trying to trying to find some chemistry and make things happen and and then it really kind of kicked off once I uh once I enlisted in my friend Will Mallard who's a great trumpet player from from the Chicago area. Um we we had been playing in Ralph's Band together, or we met playing in Ralph's Band early on when I was a freshman and he was a sophomore, and he had all. Or no, he was a junior at that point, I think. And so he had he had just returned um, from Valencia, actually, around this time in the summer, because uh, he had finished his master's degree with Berkeley. It was a one year program he did, and he came back and he was looking to do some new projects. You know, he called me up and said, hey, Morgan, you know, if, if you're looking to do something, you know, I would love to work with, I would love to make make something happen. And I really wanted to work with Will at that point because he and I were really close and we had been friends for a long time. So we, we came together and kind of started talking about, you know, I just kind of told him, like, I have this idea for this band, you know, and I think it'd be cool if you were, you know, the, the trumpet player in it and we could maybe work on some music and we could run the, you know, work together a little bit and, you know, you can kind of help me, you know, help make things go and, and, we, and we can it, you know, it was it was kind of a, a rough start, you know, we were just trying to put these rehearsals together and playing and and you know, I we went through several players in the process because we were trying to find people who were available and I had scheduled my first recital, this is in my senior year in October of that fall of 21. And so that was going to be the first real performance of the band, and I needed to find. I was trying to put stuff together, and so I had, I had written a couple tunes. I w- I wrote uh, it, Takes a Villa- "It Takes a Village," and "Trial and Error," and then we were going to do a a standard and some and some of Ralph Peterson's music, and uh, and we and and I actually ended up enlisting in Eddie Moore, Kansas City zone to come out and be a special guest on the show. Cause he was actually flying out to visit me at the time. And I was like, you know what, you know, because the piano player I was working with at the time and end up, we end up uh, parting ways because, you know, availability can be really hard when you're in your last year at Berkeley. And this, and this person was in their last year and they needed to focus on their senior recital and their graduation stuff. And I was like, yeah, I, I totally get it. And, you know, we were, we were running these really long rehearsals. I was, I was hosting really long rehearsals at the time because I was just having so much fun. And, and they realized that they needed to be more considerate of their time. So we, I was like, Eddie, you know, you're coming in to fly in. Like, let's, you know, why don't you, why don't you play on, you know, can you, will you save my button? You know, will you play on this with me? He's like, yeah, dude, I got you. And so he learned all the music and he got it ready in like a week. And we then, and and October came and we did the show. It was, and it was so much fun. You know, that first recital, Really, you know, a lot of people came and my dad flew out to see it. And I realized, you know, and I, and I decided like around that time, I was like, what, what am I going to name this band? And I was, and, and I had, and before I had gone back to, uh, um, before I had left Kansas City, I had gotten really close with, um, Tony Oliver. I don't know if you're from, are you familiar with who that is, Joe? Is he at KC? She's uh, she's kind of an she has her own she's an educator uh, independent educator on the in the 18th divine area. She okay. Has kind yeah. Of her own, she, she used to be a teacher at Lincoln, I believe, a long time ago. Um, and she's kind of a local historian in a way. She's just kind of she she's she kind of keep she's a keeper of the history in a way. She was very close to Luke Manhamza and, and all the you know the legends from way back when. Uh, and. Around the time I came back to Kansas City, Pam Hyder johnson had passed, whom I was very close with, who was a big patron of of the arts in Kansas City and of 18 and Vine and of you, and youth arts. She was a big supporter at uh, Casey Jazz Alive at Buttonwood and just a real, real true patron. And she passed away due to COVID, and it was a real, you know, it broke my heart because she was kind of like, she was one of my adoptive, like, you know, Family numbers, in a sense, you know, and and so I, through her death, I became very close with Tony Oliver, and she had told me one day, that I was a torchbearer, and that I was a keeper of the flame. That is what is Kansas City's history, and when I was thinking about what I wanted to call my band, I had I had a couple ideas, but I, I didn't I didn't really know what I was going to call because I wasn't going to call it the Morgan Falk Quintet. Because that just sounds so, it sounds so, you know, typical or, you know, it it just didn't, I didn't like the way it sounded. It was like, man, like, it's just, I don't, I don't need it to just be, you know, Morgan Faw's band, you know, it, it, it just, it didn't feel right. It didn't sit right with me. And so I, I thought about long and hard. I was like, what would, you know, how can we, how can I represent, you know, Ralph, and Bobby and the, and the and the Art Blakey and the Jazz Messenger legacy as 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 I've been raised in through Ralph and Bobby specifically as they were both you know men the mentees of of Art Blakey and played with him for years um, and so I thought long and hard and I and I you know rapped through a bunch of different things and I was like and it, and it just all of a sudden it. I, out of nowhere, I, I was hanging with Will, and we were thinking about names, and I was like, wait, I think I've got it. And all of a sudden, it just hit me, Morgan Fall on the Flame. And it, and I was like, Morgan Fall on the Flame Keepers. And I was like, okay, Morgan Fall on the Flame, that's what we'll do, but it's it's going to be, it's short for Morgan Fall on the Flame Keepers. And And this band is going to represent the legacy that is Ralph Peterson, because the... There there and I I'm kinda all scattered around. I'm so I'm sorry, I'm I'm, I'm a little ADHD with this, Joe. Oh you you're um, good. Um but in in March, you know, it it's 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 really it it makes me really sad in, in talking about this, but um March has been kind of a rough month at this point for us personally, me and my friends, because in March of twenty twenty we found out we had the pandemic and we had and the you know, life as we knew it was shutting down. And then, through all that time, we we were we were working with Ralph online. And as we, we came back uh, in spring of twenty of twenty one, Ralph was going to try to have us rehearse with the band. Is gonna try to get the big band together, and it was gonna be really hard because you're gonna have these these sheets in between us to keep COVID out. You know, have these weird, you know, these masks where you stick your mouthpiece in and you know protects the little particles from flying out and everything. It was gonna be a whole thing. Um, and and Ralph got, and and, and I don't know if you knew this, but up until that point, Ralph had been fighting stage four pancreatic cancer, or no, was not, not pancreatic, um, prostate cancer. Yeah, yeah, and in March and in February, when we tried to meet with Ralph, Ralph got, Ralph got really sick. And his cancer took a turn for the worst. And I got up and, and we were, we weren't sure if he was going to be okay. And then, and then I got a call from Bobby one night saying that Ralph was going to have, Ralph had two weeks to live and his cancer was going to win. And so we, you know, I, I went to his house and I and I said my goodbyes and and then a few about a week and a half later he he passed and then we and then in that time I helped uh, I did my best to try to help his family and join the people that were there to, that were his friends and, and help you know you know take care of the funeral I didn't you know none of the logistic stuff but like wow you know we we went to the funeral and. And we were helping out his 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 now widowed wife and his and his family and uh, his friends and trying to just and we were all together, and a lot of us couldn't go to the funeral because a lot of us were stuck in certain places around the country, and so we had we we did this whole video essay um, thing where everybody took a, sent a message to Ralph and I compiled them together and played it for him and. Uh, played at the funeral. And it it was just, and, you know, we were there and all these, all these greats, these, John Jones and Orrin Evans and, and, uh, Jonathan Blake, all, all these students of Ralph and peers of his were there and all these legends. And, uh, and I was there and, and on top of that were me and my, and my peers, my, my Berkeley peers and my friends and all the people that studied with Ralph and, and we were all together and, uh, in this, you know, sharing this, and and I and I realized that you know, I had I, I felt response. I felt a sense of obligation and responsibility to carry on what Ralph had, and he you know in one of his last his last words to me were execute your life as a black belt, and I and I realized I I needed to make I needed to start making moves that were going to not only benefit me but be fulfilling and in the direction of where I want to go with my career. It was time. Ralph was no longer there to kind of guide us. We had to find, make up, we had to forge our own path. And so fast forward, you know, a few months and Will is back and and I'm talking to him and trying to put this band together. and And I think flame keepers, because everybody, at the time that I put this band together, um, while not everybody, you know, not not everybody by the time we had that first performance was it, but at the time I put the band together, everybody that was in the band was a student of Ralph. And so we had this thought that we were going to move with, with the messenger legacy in mind, the Art Blakey legacy, and, and, uh, and, and not like literally, but like we were going to move in the spirit of them, you know, with, with, with the energy and the, and the ferocity and, and, uh, and, uh, I guess fierceness, you know, we, we want, we wanted to, we wanted to represent what our teacher had held for so long. And so when I came up with the idea of the flame, I, I knew that that was going to be the name because it represents, you know, this, this fierceness and in, in this, uh, in this, this, uh, a, a, the word that comes to mind is alive, you know, and I wanted I wanted it to to be something that could be uh, re- loved, but also respected and and uh, and and inspired by. And by yeah. that point, we have we had we had this group, and we and we and then the you know, the performance came and and, and went, and, and it was a it was a great first start. And we played one of Ralph's tunes, and we played, you know, we had this tune that we used to play with him, a Walter Davis composition called Uranus. You know, that's a tune that just kicks your butt, but it is so fun to play, and and we we just we realized like you know, okay i've got we've got something going we, now we gotta get ready for the next thing, and i want start i'm gonna start writing music and i and i and I just kind of went got into it, I just dug into it as much as I could, and by the time February came around of that next year, we were getting ready for my senior recital. and so I had been writing all i had been writing a lot of music and rehearsing with the band, and we were getting ready to do that, and on top of that. I had I decided okay, I'm because at the time I had this I, I had put a real piano in my apartment like a little upright from Craigslist, and so I was always at this piano every day riding. and when 2022 came uh, you know hit I, I said okay, we're going to make a record this year, things this this year is going to look up in a lot of ways it may be really really also hard, a lot of hardship that will come with it as it has <laughs> as we all know. Um, but I, I realized that I, I needed to, I, I, you know, it was time to make it album. I, I had the material and I, and I had the drive. I had the group. We're going to make it happen. Uh, and I, and at the time, it was going to be called Growing Pains. I even wrote it down. I said, okay, Growing Pains, the album. What are the tunes going to be? And I started trying to, I started drafting ideas and putting up, I had like 14 tunes listed at one point. Like, it was going to be a long album. It was like, it's, like, it's going to be so much material. And, and then I, I started whittling it down and we got, we went to the studio and it was still called Growing Pains. We went in the studio with the idea of still being Growing Pains because I, I wanted to, I had this music that I was writing that was kind of representing the fact that I was going through this, these changes. I, uh, I, I was learning all these, I had spent 2020 learning so many lessons and then 2021 was, so, was teaching me lessons. And then when Ralph passed, you know, that was a lesson in and of itself. And I, and I wanted to make an album that kind of represented that to, to show that I uh, that I that, I'm, that I you know this is, I have learned this, these things and, and I want to grow because I'm a hyperactive person and I'm I'm known for my intensity I'm being I'm you know I'm in, I, I can be intense even right now you know and I wanted to I wanted to, to rep to I wanted my music to kind of represent my ability to learn. We went to the studio and we and we did two days and we got two hours of music recorded eleven scenes. And I was listening back and we were mixing it and going through it and, and I had been, and I was like, and and I was, and even, even Will was like, Morgan, are you sure you want to call this Growing Pains? I don't know if this album represents Growing Pains. And, and I, uh, and I had, and I kind of thought about it for a while. I was like, man, you know, let let, let me be the one to, you know, I I kind of got my high horse first. I was like, let me be the one to like figure out what I'm going to call it and whatnot, you know. (laughs) And (laughs) But then it slowly started to hit me because I, I realized the album was going to be too long and I realized that it was going to be, uh, it, it I, I was listening back and I was like, okay, I need to, the tone wasn't what I wanted it to be. You know, I, because I had, I had been, I had been going through these changes and some of these lessons were really hard. And so the music kind of sounded a little dark and, and, and I, when I said, you know, I, I don't think I want this album to, I don't want to come out swinging with a, with an album that's sad sounding per se. And I had been talking, and I and I had been going to, I had been on the phone with all these people in my what I call my village. And I had used that phrase "It takes a village" for a long time, a little inter time, like intermittently, you know, here and there, once in a while, but it didn't really kick with me. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, I I thought, you know, I've got I've got this song called "It Takes a Village," and and I'm talking to all these mentors of mine, trying to get advice and get guidance, and and I've If there's one thing I've realized that like this this music isn't about me and and it's about the people that 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 shape you into it and how you make your how you how you find your how you find your individuality through that shaping and that molding and I realized that growing pains was not going to be the way to go and so I I I changed it to it takes a village like a month before I made all the final stuff did all the final stuff. And I realized that the the narrative that I had written, without even realizing it, was about the people of Kansas City, and about eighteen and nine, and about the, the my mentors and my family, and how I could shape it takes a village, and how I could shape growing pains into it takes a village. I, it became such this bright light all of a sudden for me, and and so I, I and I know all the music that's on the album had a lesson. Or, or a purpose, or a person in mind. Uh, for example, always in the right place is, is the last track on the album, and it's the longest one too. But it's probably my favorite, and I and I say that because it, it the 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 place that I'm coming from when I wrote it, and I collab and and in collaboration with Will, because that's one of the, one of the ones we collaborated on. That's like one of the purest songs I've written in terms of not in, not in terms of like pure blood or whatever. Like, like pure as in like pure from the heart. And I real and, and I had had this, uh, and, and on top of all of this, man, I'm, I'm bouncing all over little place again, ADHD. Um, I, I, uh, earlier, earlier in that year, I had had the love the, the beautiful opportunity to talk to Benny Green over text a bunch, uh, the great pianist. And, uh, cause he had on on his Facebook, I don't know if you follow Benny Green, Joe, but he, occasionally posts these long essays that are life life stories of his with these great jazz artists that he played with and uh and I at the time of the pandemic in in 2021 I I, I was I was absorbing every word he was saying because it was so much from the heart and it was so honest and it was so all of these things that I, that I was like inspired by, and so I just texted him one day on Facebook. I was like, Benny, I just want you to know how much your words mean to me, and and I thank you, and if I, I would love to. You know, I hope someday I get to learn from you. And he, all, and then you, you, do you want to know what his reply was, Joe? But that? He he said, Hey, Morgan, what do you want to learn? And I and I it just, that just blew me away, and 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 I, and I just immediately like without hesitation joe i i just told him i asked I start asking the questions and and i finally after, after a few questions he's like you know i was i was being really really respectful and I was like you know mr you know mr green like thank you and you know i these are you know i asked him, like kind of surface level questions you know not trying to be not trying to overreach or cross any boundaries and, and at one point he just gets real frank with me he's like morgan Please don't refer to me as Mr. Green. You know I am Benny to you. You know we, are, you know we can talk as you know essentially as equals. And, and please don't feel the need to, to put me on a pedestal of any kind. You know please just speak with me candidly. You know and, and we we can we can rap like that. And I was like, wow, okay. And so I, I you know I, I asked him a really really deep question. You know I, I was like I, at the time I had I was struggling with my identity in the music, and this was part of these growing pains things I was going through. You know I was. I was struggling with the idea is 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 my is what I have to say as a white musician as a white man in, in these times or you know you know being you know a white musician could in my eyes was seen as something that- could, i at the time I saw it as something that was bad, you know taking away an opportunity from a black musician maybe or a female musician if that matter and uh and I asked him, benny like how did you find your place and your success in this music being a white man in in, in jazz and and he he gave me like the best answer that was right in front of me the whole time, and he just said, you know, he gave me a long answer, but it, it, but it was simple. But I'll 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 uh I'll shrink, shrink it down for the purpose of the interview. It was he just said, Morgan, this music is not about black and white, as my as my mentors who were primarily black were, were would express to me and share with me as they welcomed me into their world. It is a matter of How honest you are in this music. This music is a matter of honesty, and how willing are you to be? How willing are you? How willing are you to surrender yourself to the craft and to the art? And how vulnerable are you willing to be? And I and I and I was it took me back. I was like, whoa, like why didn't? Of course, that that makes so much sense. Like it it just it just hit me all of a sudden. I was like, and I almost I almost cried. You know, I was just like, wow, like. That's such a release. Like it, it. It of course, this music. It's not. A, it isn't about. It's the people's music. And and, it, and it, you know, I just went through all these you know thoughts, and and I just all I could say was thank you. You know, thank you for for that because that it, it wasn't even like he he. It wasn't even like he gave me permission to be that. It was just he he just reminded me the importance of where this music comes from, and this comes from originality and self and how honest you are, and that's and, and playing from the heart and speaking from the heart. And and just moving it from that place, you know this this music, you know this music is all about that. And if and if you can't really fake it in this music because it's it can be really obvious when you are. And so and I, I there was a thing I used to say before I really understood the meaning. of was like, music keeps me honest, and I can say that now. Really, it does. It is a way of of remaining pure and and true to yourself. And so with that lesson in mind. I had I had to remind myself when I was, you know, between Growing Pains or Tri- uh, It Takes a Village, I realized It Takes a Village is what it needed to be because that was from the heart and that's what this music was really about. And so I wanted to create an album that reflected me as a person, but also reflected who I and where I come from. And so that, yeah. and, to, and the long, long answer to your question the music, this album was to basically be representing who I am and who and where I come from and, and try to be as close and get as close to my heart as I can, you know, and as for a first try, you know, that, that was, I felt really, really happy about where, where, what it ended up being. Well, and from my stand, my vantage point, it, it, it's kind of the culmination of, of the week-long celebration and kind of your evolution as an artist and all of that. And you've, you've done a spectacular job in a very unique way of answering so many questions that was going to stitch together your timeline and who you are. You happen to do that in the span of explaining that album. So before we get to the best place for people to buy and stream your album and see you in live shows, I have a question for you, and it's this. Everyone has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your fans, but ultimately you live your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> here's 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 a great representation. Here, here here here's my answer to that. I should say it's not a great representation. Here's my answer. <laughs> uh, my I am someone whose heart is always in the right place. It doesn't mean that it always lands there, but I always operate from a place of 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 good. I I'm, I'm someone that is that can be I I my perception of myself I'm I'm rather intense. I'm rather country, you know, in a way. <laughs> but I I uh I try to move and I try to move with the idea that I'm always learning and always able to to shape and change and and be willing to to grow. Um I can be very stubborn, but I but I always find a way to to get out of it, you know, it, it's, you know, my, uh, I, I have, I have teachers that have habits where they'll, you know, I'll get, you know, for example, I'll get like in trouble with Bobby or I'll, you know, I'll say something or like I'll, I won't have practiced something enough and you know Bobby'll get on me and curse me out and then you know five minutes later like hey man you know I am i really sorry man, you know I, I you know I I just want you to grow and learn and I you know just just know that you know and, and so it's you know I, I've I've kinda learned i I I think I've learned to try to to always move as much with grace as I can and so my representation of myself the best way to put it is uh my heart is always in the right place. And I do my best to make it land there, but sometimes it doesn't, you know? And so I, I, and I think that's an honest representation of who I am. You know, I, I move with love and what I, in my perception of what I think is right. But sometimes, and, and, but it's often, you know, like for everybody, it, it can be often wrong. And so I do my best to try to own up to when I'm, own up to my mistakes, um, or I, and sometimes I'll stand my ground, but, and then I realize I didn't need to stand my ground and I go back and I, you know, make up, you know, apologize. You know, it, it's again, my heart's always in the right place. And I, and I try so hard to land it there every time, but it doesn't always. And, th- and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I like that answer. Morgan. So tell everybody out there listening where they can pick up the new album and, uh, live shows. I know you're moving to New York, correct? Yeah, I'm in the process of moving to New York. It's uh, It's been one crazy whirlwind uh, for me to try to get there. I, I almost got there really fast um, earlier this month. I was, I was on the ground with my mom looking at apartments for like a week and a half. Um, but I ultimately needed to find something a little bit more within my budget and that meant taking a step back and taking time to make the right choice instead of rushing into the wrong one. Uh, Which I was really, really eager to do at one point because I was like, I just want to get to New York. I just want to get there, you know. Because because cause right now I'm I'm back home because I was I decided to move to New York, so I don't have an apartment in Boston anymore. So I've been like, you know, doing the couch surfing thing as many musicians do as they try to transition to new places. And you know, I was like, I'm so tired of couches. <laughs> but I ultimately <laughs> was like, you know, okay, I need to go to San Antonio. I got to get my wisdom teeth out. Let me cry. let me sleep in a bed. Let me you know get some things together. So. Uh, but for now, to answer your question, I, I am, yes, I'm in the transition of moving to New York and people can find my album right now, uh, on, in one place, really. I'm in the process of putting it on streaming services. I was going to do that when I got back from Kansas city, but I had to, this move to New York kind of stepped on that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, uh, you can buy, you can find my album. You can stream it or buy it digitally or on CD at, at Bandcamp.com. And if you type in my name, Morgan Faw, you should find my artist profile, and there will be my album there. You can also read about me or find a link to the album on my website. If you can just Google my name, Morgan Faw, and maybe add saxophone, um, my website should be the first link that pops up, and there is a direct link to my Bandcamp from there as well. And I plan to put the album on streaming services within the, within the month. But I'll be making announcements of that soon in the future. Joe, man, I, I can't thank you enough for giving me the opportunity and to be invited on your show. Um, I hope that my my rambling is is worth putting on on YouTube and on your on, on your platform. Uh, but I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to speak with you. And share, you know, the share the stories of of the of the of the album and kind of my upbringing, and uh, I'm really looking forward to checking it out and and, and listening more. And I'm looking forward also to meeting you next time I'm in Kansas City because I definitely I'm definitely coming back. So yeah, uh, absolutely. And I'm hopefully bringing these cats with me again. So hopefully you'll get a chance to hear us too. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah, it was great to connect, man. I'm so glad you got with me. Good luck with everything with the move and everything as we move forward. It's so good to see cats like you getting out there and and pushing it for, for the world of jazz and coming from Kansas City. So good luck with everything. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, Joe.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Boston, New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Morgan for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. Visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, all the time, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
1: Neon Jazz.